listening to the Taming Hinges podcast. Conversations about self-awareness and mental health. We talk about anything and everything on the podcast. Real experiences, real life. Come get triggered. Welcome to another episode of the Taming Hindrances Podcast. My name's Phil, the host and creator of the podcast. And today's episode is about time. Now, I like to wax poetically about things, and I'm sure if you've listened to any other episodes, you know that already. But one thing I definitely like to wax poetically about is time. Because time, I think, is one of those things that's, well, it's a little bit too big for itself. It's 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 got a bit of an ego. Uh, you know, it's got a lot of got a lot of history, pun intended. It's It's got a lot going on. And I don't think time quite understands itself. And I don't think we ourselves understand time. Time is of the essence, as they say. Time is really a measurement, to be honest. Time is just another item we throw into language to describe things, to give things measurement or structure, to give things reference or understanding. Time is really just that. It's just an understanding. And as I've talked before in the world of antiquity and throughout philosophy and all the other major schools of medicine, there is an understanding that we have more than just the physical body. We have the mental space. We have the spiritual world. We have all these other different faculties that make up one's own health. And I think one of the things that's super important when talking about time is to use it as the reference point. Time to me, and I could be completely wrong, as always, not a doctor, cannot digest, prescribe, just an idiot on the internet. Don't take anything I see seriously. Take a grain of salt with it and go do your own research. Or just do your own thinking, because that's really all I try to do here is make people think a little bit more. But time is, in my own viewpoint, the translation area. It's, it's part of the mind space. Time doesn't exist other than in the mentality world. It, it's where, and as I've spoken before, spoken about before, the mind is the the translation point between the other or spiritual, whatever you want to call it, that body of health and the physical body of health. And the physical body of health is simply using time to exist. Without time, the physical body would just be a frozen state. And in fact, my understanding of time is more that. It's more time as we know it in the materium is the reference of action. It's the reference of quote unquote living inside of the the mortal coil. Whereas if we look at, you know, physics, physics uses time as a measurement quite often. If we look at etheric physics, there would be a there would be an argument for the fact that without the measurement of time, there is no existence or there's no physical material existence because in my understanding, and again, I'm probably wrong, so go please do your own research on this one, but there is a, a philosophy, I don't even know if I want to call it a philosophy, maybe call it a currently a theory, because I mean, it has some pretty good scientific backing, that this world is on 
what's known as a creation and destruction wave. And I'm not going to get into all the super specifics of all of it, but this theory describes that there's this creation and destruction wave and that creation and destruction wave is the point in which magnetism is expressed in the materium. So you have the ether, which is what ether physics or etheric physics uh, uses as kind of the, the fabric of the universe. You can call it whatever you want to, the quantum area, quantum state, um, dark matter, whatever you want to call it. But it's the material or materium in which the materium or material of this world exists, like the fabric that it's laid upon. And that specific point is where magnetism exists along with what we know as the dielectric. And if you've ever studied uh, Faraday or Heaviside, uh, Tesla, Boscovich, these individuals are speaking about magnetism when it comes to how we use it in today's world, which is multifaceted, but specifically in the world of electricity. And the world of electricity has to do with when magnetism interacts with the dielectric. We get the dielectric plane. And the dielectric plane is where all electricity comes from. And we don't really know a lot about it, and we've never really studied it all that much. But if you look at a magnet, it has a north and a south pole in today's current understanding. And the reality of that is we just label them north and south. Truly what a magnet would, well, does actually look like if you put it underneath a ferrocell, a magnet looks like a donut on the top side you can call that north or what we consider the north pole you have a force um i won't get into all of that quite yet but there's a force that comes out of that and wraps back around and returns to what we know as the south pole and it looks that wave function um scalar wave if you will and so i wasn't really going to get too much into it but known as a scalar wave, leaves the top side of the magnet, which we're calling the North Pole, just for reference, and then returns to the South Pole, the bottom of the magnet, again, just for reference. And it does so in a donut shape. So it's no, it's helio. It's, it's a circle, but it because this is a three-dimensional object, as magnets are, it goes out one side and the other in a donut pattern. And that function or that donut shape is referenced by the power of the magnet. And actually the weaker the magnet, the bigger the donut's going to be because the waves are kind of, they're not as heavily directed. So a higher Gauss or how we measure a magnet by the it's Gauss factor, um, which is represented as an N number. So you have like an uh, N52, I think is one of the strongest of the um, current magnet sets. And that's the neodymium magnet world, but I digress. So the higher the N number or Gauss factor of a magnet, the higher strength the magnet is by pool. Well, that means it's going to have a smaller donut ring. So if we're looking at the side, you know, you cut a donut in half, you get the, the circle. Imagine on the inside where the smaller of the, you know, the hole of the donut is, that's the magnet itself. There's nothing there. It's an empty space. And then Around the edge of the donut would be the force lines, the scalar waves of the magnet. And, or, of, you know, that would be those force directions. And if you just keep looping it, almost like a coil, 
around the donut, you get what it looks like underneath a ferrocell. And you can go look at videos of uh, ferros, magnets underneath a ferrocell, ferros, F-E-R-O. Um, and it's very interesting to look at. Why am I getting into all this? Well, that time delineation of the what's considered the repulsive and uh, attractive forces of the magnet are what give us our measurement of time function. So as the forces, and I've talked about the primordials before with chaos and order and destruction and creation, well, this is, this is where they represent themselves in the materium is through this idea of magnetism. And magnetism is one of the three major forces that Tesla speaks about when he talks about, oh, I spent all my time on this whole thing known as magnetism, but there's these two other forces that would take another lifetime for him to have explained. So we won't get into those right now, but specifically when it comes to magnetism in the material world, everything has magnetic property. Everything is working on a smaller weak magnetic force. And actually I would argue that the small and weak forces we talk about in physics are just functional ideas of repulsion and attraction. So there's a theory that says when the, now the, the repulsive force is always stronger than the attractive force of a magnet. If you've ever tried to pull two magnets apart, it's harder than it is to push two magnets together. So the, the attractive forces pull back towards the magnet, whereas the repulsive forces push away from. And if, Sorry, I had that backwards. If you've ever tried to push two magnets together, way harder than trying to pull them apart. You can usually pull magnets of a similar power apart easier than you can actually try to actually push them to connect together. And that's because the repulsive function of the magnet in a mathematical equation is going to be stronger than its attractive forces. Phil, you're getting us a little lost here. I know it's because when we look at this and we look at time, that's the major understanding is that the repulsive forces of magnetism are always stronger than the attractive. What does that mean for time? Well, in this theory to kind of speed things up and get to the point in the theory, repulsive forces chaos is pushing things apart until they can reorganize themselves. And that repulsive function has equated itself. So chaos only has so much power and it's fairly quick about using its power and thus it dissipates and then things can reorganize themselves into order and they can collectively come back together. And this is the idea of chaos and order through creating destruction and crea and create creating uh, creation that we know from all of the philosophical, religious, everything from antiquity. This is what they're describing. And I've talked about before how divinity or, you know, what we see as the divine or even divination to be divine or to have a full understanding, a complete understanding of past, present, future, and the functions in which humanity has tried to use divinity and define divinity. And divinity is typically defined by the past. We're looking at what the past has said, where all of that divinity is just predictions of the future. Well, that's again, repulsion and attraction. The repulsive forces of chaos create order. Order begets creation. 
And then eventually, once everything reattracts at the bottom, you know, again, the tractive force of the magnet, the helio, the donut coming back in, it then meets repulsion again because it's just a circle. As the wave goes out of the top, repulsion, it's reattracted to the bottom and creates that donut shape around the magnet. Remember, the center of the magnet here is hollow, though. If you look underneath the ferrocell, there's no force in the middle. It's just a black spot. And then as the retractive forces come back in the magnet, they're recycled. They don't just disappear. They go back out as a repulsive force, and they're accelerated by that repulsive force. So as, they, as the waveform comes back in, it's reaccelerated by its interaction with ether, the fabric, and thus propel, propelled out as a repulsive force again. That's why the repulsive force is always stronger than the attractive force. But the attractive force takes more, quote-unquote, time to realign itself. So order always takes more time than, than chaos. And that's another way to say that would be creation takes more time than destruction. It's very easy to destroy something. And often we find ourselves doing destructive things and only seeing them more so than creative things because it takes less time to destroy something. It takes the artist hours to paint a picture. It takes the hooligan minutes to destroy it, seconds to destroy it. And that's because of how we measure things with our, our understanding of time. But in reality, at least my reality or the reality of the materium, is there's a wave function there that the repulsive force takes X number of time to destroy all the bonds of everything all the way down to the atomical structure. And then the attractive force reorganizes it and holds it in place in that attractive state until the repulsive force can redestroy it or re-break the bonds of attraction apart. What does that mean for us as, as material beings? Well, that's the realm of moving. Your atomical bonds are repulsed apart and then reorganized. And this is the theory, um, it goes along with etheric physics that there's this wave function of attraction and repulsion that's destroying and creating the universe. I think it's like some three trillion times a second or something like that. It's extremely fast. You are not aware of it happening. It's impossible and it's meant to be impossible for the mind to understand this is what's happening or to even see it as a function. But that oscillation, everything's destroyed, everything's created, everything's destroyed, everything's created, is happening without us even knowing it. But that allows for movement. It's kind of like claymation. We just don't see the frames per second, quote unquote, like we do with claymation. You can watch the animator make the claymation model move and we can take video because it's only happening at frames per second or something we can watch. Imagine if that individual was moving so fast, you never actually perceived the movement of the clay figure. It would just look animated. It would just, and you would never see the movement of their hands moving the figure. It would just be a figure walking across the table doing stuff. We'd be like, whoa, that's amazing. Well, that's divine, right? That would be divinity. That would be a definition of a godly being or a, a godlike force. So when we talk about time, we often get into the 
the ramifications of divinity or the ramifications of understanding. Cause really all religion is trying to trying to teach you something or trying to make sense of the world around you to give a, a common ground to individuals to decide how to live your life or, you know, how to create community, how to exist with one another, how to be social, how to understand social events. Well, science does the same thing. And I'm not saying science is a religion, but it could be almost anything can be a religion. And I harp on the idea of religion a lot because I don't believe in organized religion. I don't believe your beliefs should be someone else's beliefs. I, I think they have to be solely yours. I don't think our understanding of time necessarily has to be someone else's understanding of time. But I talk about time as it's a reference. It's a measurement. That's what I think we need to understand when we talk about mental health and self-awareness is time is this reference point. And we look at that theory of creation and destruction in this waveform and how the repulsive force against the destruction force is much, much stronger than the attractive or creation force. And we look at the primordials, that's always been true. Chaos is the most powerful of the primordials. It's always been defined that way in, in the history of antiquity and the, the canonical writings about what the force of chaos, however you want to describe it. Chaos has always been the most powerful of the primordials, not destruction. Chaos begets destruction. Without chaos, there could be no destruction, not order because order can be destroyed and chaos is the function there we use to do it and not creation because creation is only created to be destroyed by chaos and that's the whole idea of this theory and the reason i reference it is that theory of the quote-unquote claymation idea of the i think it's it's either three or 30 or 22 maybe it's 22 trillion times a second I think it's 22 trillion times a second. It doesn't really matter, though. It's just ridiculously trillions of times a second that the whole universe, every living being, all inanimate objects, animate objects, things we don't even know about, supernovas and galaxies we haven't even seen yet, it's all destroyed and then recreated at some obscene number like 22 trillion times a second. So we don't perceive it. But without that happening, there would be no movement. We couldn't have function. And by the function of this creation and destruction we have happening, we get complexity. And without that idea, we could never have what we know as evolution. We could never have divinity. We could never have divine nature. We could never have Abrahamic stories of the prophets and the predictions of the future because we wouldn't be able to define time as a function because time is a measurement and a function of the reality of balance. And I've spoken about before how the universe is always seeking balance. We'll always be seeking balance. It's designed to seek balance. The problem is when we think about balance, we think about equal or equivalent forces. And that's not how the universe goes about it. The universe goes about balance using asymmetry. We can see this in the Fibonacci sequence. We can see it in all sorts of different, you know, all sorts of different patterns or, you know, the golden ratio, all these other, you know, we can express this all mathematically, but we can also see it with the stories of chaos and order and how chaos is the most powerful of the primordials. It's the asymmetrical 
asymmetrical balance to everything else. It would almost be fair to say human history can be defined by the building of civilization in order to destroy it. And this is, I've spoken against war in the past, but this is a function of warfare. This is a, a function of unattainable resolution. And by general nature of balance, that's required. The problem with that, though, is if we look at historical record and we look at the past, the present, and the future, war should never be a, an always. And we use it as an always nowadays. We're at constant warfare, constant un, un the inability to have resolution because that's that's the true idea of warfare is when two mindsets can never reconcile there can be no reconciliation that's where warfare comes from and war is the realm of chaos but as i've spoken about before being a martialist i've studied war to a great extent and anyone who ever has studied war or been in a state of war. It doesn't have to be a shooting war like we, you know, we say war and we reference like movies and, and actual, you know, physical warfare. Well, that's the representation of it in the material as, you know, what we as a societal body think about war. When in reality, war is a mental state. And if you're at war, you're in a simulation because all warfare starts as a simulation in the mind. Anyone who's ever been in combat, be it what we know as war combat, military combat, or simply combative nature at work, you know, arguing with a friend or a boss or having a, a terrible dinner with the family. Those are all warfare states. And there's always constant simulation happening. Most people that find themselves in these situations are running through a mental process of what should I say next? What are they really trying to say? You know, it's, it's this mental idea. All warfare starts as a simulation in the mind. Then we can bring it into the material. We can also send it to the spiritual if we really wanted to. You can, you can send warfare upwards as above, so below. So if, if you can fight war at a physical material level, you can fight war at a mental level and you can then fight war at a spiritual level. And I say spiritual, meaning that other body, the things we don't really understand, the things that take time and the mind is where we process that. So the mind itself really could be said as needing time. It's the world where time is the most important. The material world doesn't give a shit about time. It couldn't care. The mental space is what gives a, a gives a relative viewpoint of time or the necessity therefore. And you know, someone might argue and say, "Oh, but you know, a plant needs time, but doesn't have a mental space." Well, that's debatable, I guess. And if you want to get into like metaphysics and all that stuff, but from this viewpoint, from my viewpoint, the plant doesn't care about time. The tree doesn't care about time. Blades of grass don't care about time. Time is a function to them. It's seasonal. Their entire point of existence at that point is reproduction. That's really where we start to see the living organism factor and the non-living organism factor. The idea of the use of time is where the function 
of living versus non-living can be completely wiped away. A living organism uses time to reproduce. Our cells are doing it all the time. Plants are creating themselves to reproduce themselves. Trees, animals, even rocks. See now, well, you get into a funny world there, right? So in alchemy, we say that everything is just a seed. Gold, a seed. Silver, seed. All precious metals, seed. All gemstone seeds. Everything in that mineral world where we would consider inanimate and not living is a factor of just needing more time because it's just a seed. Gold is a seed. It will reproduce itself when provided the correct energy and format. That's the whole process of the physical idea of constituting and transmuting metals in alchemy. But that specific idea there is that minerals or even gemstones, like take a diamond, for example, it's the easiest one because most people understand it the best, is a function of carbon compressed over time, creates a diamond. So is the carbon, the coal, not a diamond beforehand? Well, it's just a label, right? It's the organization of or order, and it takes the most time to create. Diamonds take a long time to create. Now, yes, we have artificial diamonds nowadays, but that's just speeding up the process. The process from a factor of just a earth standpoint, though, is you take coal or anthracite and you compress it using whatever forces available a mountain, you know, heavy boulders or whatever. And you compress the anthracite, the coal, till it organizes the molecular structure, the molecules of carbon, into a specific pattern that gives us a diamond. So really that anthracite is a diamond. A diamond is just a function of time, order, into a specific idea. Well, as alchemy talks about, it's the same for everything, as above, so below. So as we take time, or the world takes time, the earth takes time, the mineral world takes time, to create a diamond by compressing anthracite into a, a f- ordered factor, anthracite itself was created due to chaos, the burning of, you know, creating charcoal, and then charcoal becomes anthracite, it's all compressive form. You know, you can use, uh, the, in antiquity, you used to use peat moss to create charcoal. And then you'd have charcoal and then charcoal becomes coal coal if you let it sit long enough. Or you can have a factor of all sorts of stuff. I'm not going to get into all the science of that, but these are just factors of time. So if we look at things in a factor of time like that, it could be said that the best thing to do is to always play for time because playing for time by playing for time, that's a, in the mental state of warfare, you can do something called playing for time and playing for time is to simulate how to get yourself the most amount of time to position yourself the best in order to have the best advantage. So playing for time is that when I, when I say play for time, I mean, finding a way to get the most amount of time to put yourself in the best position to have the best advantage. So if we play for time in the mental space, 
What does that look like? Well, that's the function of depression, right? Because I've spoken about before, my idea of depression is you have yours, I have mine, it's all unique. But it's the way in which you intake the world to have a mental faculty. And I think when we talk about time, we need to bring up the subject along the lines of mental health and self-awareness that no two people are the same here because your depression is yours and mine is mine. So your functions and factors of time cannot, they are a measurement, but cannot be used as a measurement. What takes one person six months might take someone else three years. You never know. But we, we like to try to make things orderly. We like to try to make things uniform. And I think that's a mistake. I think time as a function is a poor idea in the world of self-awareness and mental health. Again, what takes someone six months could take someone else three years. Now, we see this when we talk about habit. There was a study done about habit. And the results of that study were how long does it take to, the question was how long does it take to form or destroy a habit? And the study found it could take 60 days or 253 days to form a habit. And it could take 60 days or 253 days to destroy a habit. Everyone was different. The average though, I think was down closer to that three month period, 90 days, somewhere around there. To former, but that was the average. And we often like to play the law of averages when we talk about medicine or we talk about treatment. And that's the world of psychiatrics and what I've talked about before, the reality of what we call depression, quote unquote, but is really major depressive disorder. And that is a whole measurable function of a mental state and psychiatric evaluation that would provide the better understanding of the mental or the, the chemical processes in the brain. It has its own world, not part of my world. I just don't use it. And I don't know enough about it to even tell anybody about it. I'm like, okay, I know enough about it to tell someone about it. But that is its own world. It has its own function of time. Just like when we talk about this situation of mental health and self-awareness, and when we talk about habit and how everyone's different, that's the reality of self-awareness. When I talk about self-awareness, I need to tell people which is why I am time, just a measurement and you cannot use it as a measurement or a comparison thereof with someone else. It could take me, it could take me an hour to learn an entire martial arts form. I've seen students take three months, six months. I have a mastery over myself that allows me to learn martial arts forms quicker. That's why I have a second degree black belt in one system and other belts and others. That's, you know, I didn't start that way. I found the mental processes in which allowed me to do that. That's what mastery is. And that's why they say mastery takes time. Mastery can take 10,000 hours or 10,000 processes. You know, that's a really good way at looking at mastery. But then once mastery in something is attained, it makes all the other things take less time. So time is just this measurement factor. And we, really need to let go of time and understand that time is not linear. It's not, it's not progressive or functional to measure things and compare them through time because 
It's just, it, is, it in and of itself is just a measurement and a function. And it's a measurement and a function of chaos. And again, chaos begets order and order begets creation and creation begets chaos. Chaos begets destruction, revolves around. So when we look at time again in the mental health and self-awareness aspects, we need to play for time. And when I, again, when I talk about playing for time, that's the mental faculty or the mental process of the simulation of war inside the mind where we position ourselves as best we can to have the best advantage by taking the most time available. War as a simulation in the mind, there's also like, there's often times spoken about, you know, taking the initiative having the initiative. The American war system is all based on having the initiative. Never lose the initiative in the American war machine. That's how, that's why, it's one of the reasons it's the best. Well, actually, I'll take that back. The American war machine is not the best I've ever seen. Really, the Roman legions did it better. Um, And again, in the Roman legions, they spoke about having, they called it something different, but it's essentially the same, having the initiative or controlling the initiative. It's not really having the initiative, it's in controlling the initiative. And by controlling the initiative, we play for time. One of my favorite things to do, because I used to play D&D, and I would play D&D now if I had a group to play it with, but and if you've never played D&D, I highly recommend it. It's a great fun simulation, and just a great time if you can find the right group of people to do it with. But in D&D, one of the first things you do is you roll for initiative. What is initiative? Initiative is in the order of actions. And those with the highest initiative act the soonest. Or they act first. So in the American war machine, they often like to have the initiative, which is to be the first in action. Well, I was taught way back when, when I first started learning martialism or the, the realm of a martialist and not so much a martial artist, they who acts first dies first. And that's a, that's a pretty accurate statement. So there's a a specific idea of warfare of the defensive nature and the defensive nature allows for one to control the initiative because they control when someone acts. And I'll, I'll leave it at that not to get too far into this whole realm of warfare, but if we go back to the Roman legions, they were defensive fighters. The whole idea of the phalanx the, the legion itself, the shield, if you want to go into the North world, the shield wall or the, the palisade wall, it was all these functions to buy time. If you bought time against an invading party, you could out, you could outlast them. That was the whole function of it. So when I talk about time in the world of mental health, I think it's best to say you need to learn to take time. You need to you need to get a better understanding of what time is to you. Because time, like everything else, has quality. And we don't often talk about this idea of quality. Things can have a quality over quantity. We usually say you want more time, we want the quantity of time. Well, quality versus quantity is subjective versus objective. And if you get a quality amount of time compared to a, a, a quantity amount of time, maybe you could get more done. 
maybe you can get a better understanding. So I think it's often a good idea to look at what's the qualitative set of time, what's the quantitative set of time. Because again, time is just this measurement, but we can give a measurement to time. And we don't often do that unless it's in the faculty of the connotations. And remember, I don't like to put connotations on things and I definitely don't like to ask why questions. So when we look at the connotation of the measurement or the, the maybe a better word to be would be description of time, we have to look at quality versus quantity. I, I, I don't think there's one or the other to advocate for, but it's a good understanding. It's a, it's a good idea to have an understanding of which you're trying to use because we often just lump time as time. You know, I just, oh, I wish I had more time. Well, do you wish you had more quality time or do you wish you just had more of it? And that's really where self-awareness imposes itself. And if you want to have a better idea of self-awareness, you can look at the understanding of, oh, I had a really good quality time experience. That time I spent was quality. It's, it had a qualitative skill or a, a qualitative measurement or definition. And that could be anything from it having an emotional response. Again, I, I leave connotation out. So the, the qualitative example of time could have been sad or happy. doesn't really matter, but there was maybe an emotional aspect to that, that time frame. Whereas the quantity is usually where we measure I have to go to work for eight hours. I want to get eight hours of sleep. I want to get, and sleep is a good way to measure these things because you can get quality sleep or you can just get more of it. And if you're getting poor sleep, but you're getting a lot of poor sleep, it doesn't really make up for getting good quality sleep. And that's where the idea of health and those health aspects come from. So if we start to put all this together, we have the wave function of creation and destruction or the, the, product of materium that has to do with the magnetic forces of repulsion and attraction. And repulsion is quick. Chaos acts quickly. In order, attraction acts slowly. And as I've talked about with choice and change in the past, it's a good idea to make correct choices to beget correct change. And that is a function of what are you looking for? What's your function of time here? Do you want, is it a quality time you need or is it just a quantity of time? Because quantity of time is where all creation, all order exists. It's in, the, it's in the quantity thereof. You need a lot of time to create something of quality. You need a lot of time to create lasting ideas or, or a better financial situation, a better mental state, finding a better job, having more education. These things all take quantity of time. Quality of time is chaos. What do I need to let go of? Because you can just walk away from things and the mental state will figure it's, it will catch itself up. So, we often look at what we want, but we don't get really what we want. We have wants and needs and time is a function of wants and needs. If you want something, it's going to take time to get there. It's going to take time to get that one. 
if you need something, you're going to get it quicker. That's kind of the universal asymmetrical balance because a need often requires chaos. A need often requires a destruction of something else. And here's what I mean by that. In the world of mental health, if we need a more, let's, let's pick an easy one. If we need to pay rent, we go to work. And often the choice gets eliminated of the quality of work. It's just the quantity we need because the rent is a function of finance, which is hours in to pay. If my pay is $15 an hour and my rent is $1,500, I know I need to work, forgetting about taxes for a minute and all the other crap that comes out of your paycheck, 100 hours. 100 hours of work is equivalent to rent at $1,500. And I know I'm just picking random numbers, but I like to keep it simple and be slightly close to reality in some ways. But that's a function of quantity of time. Okay, that's order. Whereas the chaos here, the need, we need to pay rent, right? The chaos here is forgetting about the qualitative and just using the quantitative. I, I, I know it's crisscrossing here, but that's why chaos is the repulsive force. And the repulsion here in this example is okay, I'm just going to work the shitty job so I can pay rent because I need the stability of having a place to stay. I need a place, a roof over my head. It doesn't have to be great, but I need that to have a good base structure to add other things that, you know, have other functions. And that's where we can use the example of wants and needs to understand the repulsive nature of chaos that we can just destroy some idea of, oh, really, you know, everybody wants a job they want to go with. And I think everyone deserves a job they actually want to go to. But if the need is to pay rent, then the job shouldn't matter. The need is money. And money is a function of giving someone else your time for pay. And then paying rent, which is another need, is a function of doing whatever's available to pay said rent by exchanging time for money. And this is where we see time as the measurement function. It's part of the equation. It's all it is. And how we look at it, qualitative versus quantitative, is the idea of order versus chaos, is the idea of creation versus destruction, is the idea of finding asymmetrical balance. Because no, it's not easy to find a job you want to go to, but jobs themselves are actually kind of easy to find. It's most people want to lie to themselves and say, hmm, I can find a better job or job's not good enough for me. And you get to do that if you're looking for the qualitative and you have the ability to look at the qualitative side of time. If you don't have that ability, then you need to start with the quantitative side of time. You have it, you're willing to exchange it, and there's probably some shitty job you can go do to get that exchange. And is it going to be enough? No. So maybe you need two jobs. And I say this because I've done this. I used to work 
umpteen different jobs. I used to work 20 hour days. I used to live in my car and just go to work. That's what I did. And I find in today's society, we don't look at time correctly. We don't look at it correctly in all sorts of different facets, but mostly in the idea of self-awareness and mental health. Someone suffering from major depressive disorder needs to spend the time with their doctors to figure out any chemical imbalances that may be going on and then to try out certain medications. And that's not my realm. That's major depressive disorder. Someone who is suicidal probably wants to go look at that realm, but also there's another aspect. There's someone who's suicidal who doesn't want to be anymore. There's someone who's experienced melancholy and they don't want to anymore. There's someone crying themselves to sleep every night who doesn't want to do that anymore. And those are functions of time because everyone else in the world is being like, hmm, why do you feel like that? You should just be better. Just get better. Well, that's a fucking function of time. So we need to stop being like, oh yeah, this shit just happens overnight. No, it doesn't. And all of society has been showing is these things happen quickly. The rags, the riches story, the, you know, athletes, the Instagram heroes, the fucking, all of these stories we see on social media or in the news or just the story that gets told you in the break room or that your friends talk about because it's, it's interesting and it's exciting that this idea of the quantity of time needed to do something Someone destroyed that fact. That's what makes it impressive to us is when someone achieves these amazing things quickly because we don't think that's possible. Well, that's the argument of quantitative versus qualitative. These are actually qualitative functions that we're looking at. The individual, the rags, the riches story, that was qualitative function of time they put in or got a qualitative amount of time that had very high quality and thus propelled them farther than most. Even if they did come from the rags story to riches story or just success in general is a measurement of quality where the reality or the normal, the average would be a function of quantity, the chaos situation. But we don't, Look at those often enough because it's, that's not fun. It's not exciting. So I'm here to tell you if you are the person who is sad all the time and don't want to be anymore, if you are the person like me who's suicidal and is just tired of it or needs a better understanding of it, you got to play for time. You have to have the simulation in your mind that this could take five years and that's okay. There's no problem with that. You have no measurement against someone else. As I've spoken about in many other episodes of this podcast, giving your mental states over your measurements, your perspective, your choices, your belief structures, your language, your education, giving, giving the power of over any of these things to someone else is the wrong choice. It's the wrong idea because ultimately it all relies on you. You are the function of time. You are your own repulsive and create and attractive forces. You are your own magnet. That's everything you want to talk about the secret. You want to talk about, you know, think, uh, think and grow rich. Any of these books that were written about how to like change your state, any self-help book is a function of time. They're just not willing to talk about that because that doesn't sell books. 
that doesn't sell ideas. And I'm not saying any of these people are wrong. They've obviously spent some time to write something that maybe will help someone. And that's a good endeavor. In my eyes, that's a great endeavor. But putting a paywall in front of it and doing all these other things, that, that's, that's their choice. That's fine. They can do that. It's whatever. But we need to be real. We need to talk about the difference between qualitative and quantitative. The entrepreneur, you know, someone like Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V. That dude puts in a lot of quality time. He busted his ass from nothing to something by putting in quality time. And he learned that by running his dad's wine store and then, you know, finding a, a location that he could, you know, a boardroom he could work in to create his own media company. And, you know, but he put in quality time. He also put in quantitative time, which is another aspect. That's why he is so successful because true success is really a measurement and a factor of quality plus quantity equals high function. But that's one side of the story. There's the quantitative side of someone like any stoic ever uh, that if you just put in enough time or better, a better example is the fake it till you make it. I'm a pretty good example of the quantity of fake it till you make it. On occasion, I can put in some quality and I do my best, but I really just put in quantity. That was just what I was built for. My body was just built for quantity. Work 20 hours, work 18 hours, six days a week, seven days a week, work months on end with no breaks. That's quantitative. It's not exactly qualitative. I wasn't exactly doing great work all the time. I was just putting in a lot of it. And that was my function for success. So when we talk about success, we have to have the understanding of it's quantitative versus qualitative and all these self-help ideas and self-help books. Yeah. One might work for you. And that's what I call working inside of a system, but it's the time function thereof. These things don't happen overnight. They're not supposed to happen overnight. The person who wins the lottery uses blows all the fucking money because they didn't earn it. That's why I don't play the lottery. I don't deserve to win the lottery. Why would I deserve that money? I don't, I haven't put in the time or the function to gain it, which is where we see entitlement from. Entitlement is a factor of time. Those who feel entitled to something, they usually feel entitled because they feel like they put in the time and they, they didn't. That's why they're, that's why everyone sees them as entitled. And there's a, a, a cross up here of those who do feel entitled are typically not, and they don't understand what entitlement is. Entitlement, by its definition of antiquity, was when you were born into a noble family, and thus you were entitled to lands or wealth or these you know different ideas. That's what true entitlement was. It came from a title, a noble title, to be a duke or a baron or any other one of the titles you want to throw out there, a king or a queen you know, a baronet, um, any of these things, uh, even the idea of might piss somebody off with this one, but a widower, that's an entitlement, totally an okay entitlement, but these are titles that we were given to things. An heir is a title, it's entitlement. Those are functions of time. Someone else put in a fuck ton of time to create something that would be an entitlement or had to have a title. And then they pass that along 
through a function of time. Now, they're a different function of time. Typically, it was quality that got you, a quality of your work got you a title, and then you held a title for a quantity of time to pass on to a different individual. It's this ebb and flow, repulsion and destruction. That's why we often find that one generation is different than the other. If the parent's generation was super conservative, the child and their, you know, or the, if one generation was super conservative, the next is super progressive. If, you know, that's this ebb and flow, repulsive wave happens very quickly, destroys bonds of things, and then the attractive wave of the magnetical force that reorganizes them. And that's how the universe works. So if that's how the universe works and it's constantly seeking balance, well, we can use that, right? We can use that to our advantage. The mental faculty, the warfare mind of everything is a mental simulation. So how do you put yourself in the most advantage position to get the most out of something? You do that through time. So if you're someone, like I said, maybe you're just sad all the time and you don't want to be anymore. If you're quote unquote, will be called depressed all the time, which I argue against, but I have to kind of use common vernacular to get my point across. Someone who's just feeling melancholy all the time or sad or unhappy. <clears throat> I guess that would be the best. If you're just feeling unhappy all the time, you don't want to feel that way anymore. Well, you got to use time and you have to use time to create advantage. And to do that, you have to look at the power of repulsion and attraction. Yeah. There's this whole idea out there called the secret and no one really understands how it works because in order for you to be of fruition, something else has to be, there has to be balance to all these things, but we can use an idea from that to, you know, it's called manifestation. Let's just, I'll just make it that simple. The idea of manifestation is the idea of making choices that correlate to change. And that takes time. You need to take the time to repeatedly make choices that are correlating towards the change you want because eventually you'll get there right now. You're going to get the change you need. And sometimes people don't need change. So you just get this loop of ooh, learning patience, right? Cause patience is not a virtue at first. It's a learned skill. So you learn to be patient, patient with yourself, patient with others, patient with the dog, patience with the cat, but specifically patience with yourself. And then you can make the choices that will beget the change that you want. And I usually tell people you're five years away from getting what you need to then be five years away from getting what you want. It's a whole 10 year cycle process. In fact, every seven to 11 years, our cells turn over in our body. So it's usually for me, I like to say a seven to 11 year process. Those who put in quality time will get the seven year changes. Those who put in the quantity of time might get the 11 year changes. But our body turns over its cellular structure every 7 to 11 years. That means all the cells in your body, 7 to 11 years from now, will be all new, all brand new. So you're a brand new person by function of the material world, by the body world, the world of the body and its, its functions. And you're a whole new mind. In the, in the, men, in the mental state, you're, you're changing and evolving constantly because that's a function of time too. So time is just important. It's just important. It's important everywhere. And there's a lot of people out there talking about time management, lessons on time, life advice, and just other understandings of everything. Well, if you understand your time 
and what's quality to you and what's quantity to you, you can start to get a better understanding of yourself and how you go about things. For me in martial arts, it's three moves. Oh, nowadays it's five moves. It started as three moves at a time, up block, down block, left block, whatever functions or whatever forms or moves, patterns. Learn three of them at a time. Now it's more like five at a time. I can learn a form in a day and memorize it, ready to go. Am I great at it? No, that takes the quantity of time to get better. But I know the quality. I know how to get a quality learning experience. So that's really the whole poetical nature to this is to understand your time. Because remember, self-awareness is all about you. Mental health, your mental health is all about you. So we should be selfish in some extent. And to be selfish, we need to learn to get the quality time and the quantity of time. If you're having physical ailment, if the physical body is the issue, then we need to find the quantity of time it takes for it to heal and then the quality of the healing we're going to do. Maybe that's your gut biome. Maybe it's a chronic injury you've always had. You know, how do you go about quality healing experience, quality of time, and then put in enough quantity thereof to get healed? Remember, there's never one side. There's always multiple sides. So everyone who's focused on just the quality of time, nope, you're not putting in enough of it. So you're not, you're lacking the quantity thereof. And anyone who's like, was like me, who just put in the quantity of time is missing the quality of it. A challenge to this I like to use is if you really want to measure the quantity to quality idea, think of your favorite meal from your childhood and your favorite, like a favorite movie that like a feel good movie you like to watch. Or another way to do this is to think of a meal from your childhood that maybe isn't like you have a bad kind of quality example to just like, oh, I can hate it when my mom made me live or something like that, you know, something along those lines and then pick a quality enjoyment experience, like a, a movie from your childhood or something nostalgic, a feel good movie, those types of things and marry them together. It's quantity and quality. Put in the quantity, get the quantity and then make it qualitative doesn't work for everybody, but it's an example thereof. So when we marry together the quality and the quantitative, we get the best possible outcome. And that's, that's that process of doing the mental faculty or the mental simulation of war. How do I take the most amount of time available to get the best advantage to have the initiative? Then if I have the initiative and I control the initiative, I then control the flow of time. I know when, in a self-awareness aspect, I know when to just put the time in. Just I got to slog it out for three months to get the savings to, you know, do a, get to get that thing I want or the to do the vacation or the, sometimes you just got to, maybe it's a year, maybe it's three years. Again, the, the time frame doesn't fucking matter right now. It's that understanding of the quantitative versus qualitative of time. 
maybe you really just need a quality experience with yourself or your partner or your friends to make things worth it, to have that great time. Or, you know, maybe you just need to go have D and D night every month or every week to just have that, or that, you know, that night out with the friends, the bar night or game night, or maybe you just need that one night of a week to yourself or the, the time, you know, personal, just fuck everybody else. I'm doing me, put the, put the comfy pants on and sit in front of the TV or do the puzzle or play the video games or listen to the music or, you know, do whatever. That's the qualitative and learning the balance. Remember everything needs balance and it's going to be asymmetry. How much quality time do you need to balance out the quantitative time to progress forward? My personal example was I needed to put in quality research to understand my belief structures on what happens after life. My, my understanding of death. And then I had to sit with that quantitatively to get the understanding that brought me out of my suicidal attempts that made me no longer suicidal. I had to put in a fuck ton of time, nearly 20 some years, probably more of getting an understanding of all these different belief structures that are out there. All these ever these infinite amount of possibilities, all these different ways of thinking and understanding to get an understanding of death, which I believe to be the most probable of the options is reincarnation to understand. I don't want to reincarnate again. I don't want to go through this bullshit again. I'm okay with putting in this life. I'm okay with it. Fuck. I can die tomorrow. And to be honest, I put in a pretty good life. That's where, that's where my understanding of suicide went to. But it was the time, it was the quantity of time to put in. It was the quality of finding the, the correct answers for me. That was the quality of time to put in the research that really meant something to me. That really, I understood and it resonated with me. And then the quantity thereof to get that whole balance structure to end up with, I used to be suicidal because I didn't think it was, I, I just, I, I fucking hated everything. I didn't want to deal with this. The sadness was overwhelming. The unhappiness was overwhelming. The resentment towards myself was overwhelming. The resentment towards my family was overwhelming. The lackluster experiences were overwhelming. And thus the quality was horrible. The quality of time spent here was fucking terrible. And I wanted out. Well, I just put in some more quantity of it. I just lived a little longer after my first suicide attempt. But I didn't find enough answers. So I tried again. Failed again. And then I put in more quantity of time. And then I slowly learned the balance of, oh, okay. Well, if I put in all this quantity, there was some quality experiences. The quality experiences I got led me to the understanding of, Oh, there might be this thing known as reincarnation. And I definitely don't want to do that again, which some people would connotate. That's not, that's not good. You don't want to live again if that's what you believe in. No, I don't. And that's just my own personal opinion on the fact. 
but it was the qualitative of getting a good understanding. Be like, that fucking resonates with me. I feel that deeply in whatever mental, mind, body, spiritual, whole health structure. I feel that. And I'm like, you know what? That's what I really want. Well, if that's what I want, I got to put in the need of, I got to spend more time researching all this and figuring it all out. So I don't have to reincarnate again. But I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to have to do that. Maybe the Egyptians got it right. And we should be mummified. And that's how you stop that. There's a whole plethora of stuff there to put in quantitatively and qualitatively. But the balance came out. The balance to the whole thing was I put in all of that shitty fucking quality time. Where the quality was just terrible. And I hated all of it. To come out on the other side into contentness of the quantity and quality. The balance thereof of knowing, okay. Sometimes I just got to take some time to binge watch some Netflix. I don't do it all the time, but sometimes I got to do that. Sometimes I got to play some video games, get my mind off of stuff. Sometimes I just need to slog it out at work. Just got to put the quantity in and just go to work, go to work, go to work. Sometimes I really just need a really good quality client. You know, in the massage world, sometimes I just need that client that comes in and just like, Phil, you do you, help me. Tell my body what it's, you know, tell me about it, what it's not seeing, what it's not, you know, do you. That's awesome. I talked to one of my tattoo artists recently, and she had the same feeling. She's like, it's better to have something you want to do at work. That just makes you feel good. It makes work, it makes the quality of work worth it. It's the, it makes, it makes work quality time. But that's not the reality. We don't get that all the time. Sometimes you get the client, you don't really just, you don't jive with them. It's not that you won't do the work though. That's what you get paid to do. So you do it. So there is, there's no negative positive play here. There's just the quality thereof. And that's a function of our own mentality. She had a strong understanding of that, a strong awareness, very self-aware person in my eyes. It was very interesting to see the similarities there. And I think I would, I might find that in other places if I, I looked for it. And I have in some cases and some people I talk to, but I don't always get that insider information. So not just using those two examples. I mean, I have other ones that correlate to this, but I think that's why I'm talking about time is because we need to get a good understanding of the quality of time and the quantity of time and the balance there that makes up our lives or living or makes it worth it or just makes us content. Cause I'm not one to tell you to go be happy and have great days all the time. No, I really don't care. I love when it rains. That's my favorite weather, but I can't tell it to rain every day because other people will be miserable because they don't like it. So when it rains, I enjoy it. It's a quality day. I like the rain. I like rainy days, but the quantity is low. Okay, that's fine. There's balance there. But the quality of it is so enjoyable to me that it can happen once a month, twice a month. I'm cool with it. And that function, that understanding, is where we really can start fully diving in to the deeper realms of our mind, the deeper ideas. And we can push back against those preconceived notions of everything's always going to be shitty. I fucking hate going to work every day. Everything's miserable. 
I just want to die. We can push back against that because that's only quantitative and qualitative on a negative aspect. Remember, you got to get rid of the connotation. Once you get rid of the connotation, then you can remap the system of, oh, I go to my shitty job every day that pays me shitty money. But then I also learn to just not waste it on the five minute Starbucks that costs too much money. Maybe I could save a little bit. And then that shitty job that pays me shitty money will maybe give me enough that I could save a little bit or educate myself further or I can go get another job too, another shitty job. Maybe I, can, maybe I can work two shitty jobs that really fucking make me hate these shitty jobs and motivate me to go find a better job eventually. But those two shitty jobs together give me enough money to go have that qualitative experience of fucking buying something I really want or having a mini vacation or not having to worry about the car breaking down because I have the little extra money to pay for it. If something happens, those types of things, remember wants and needs, you get what you need. You don't always get what you want, but you can get what you want. If you put in the time to get what you need to be able to then to get what you want, quality versus quantity, quantity versus quality. So play for time. That's my life advice. And also don't listen to me. Go figure it out for yourself. What is quality time to you? What does it look like? Map it out. Figure it out. I often, you know, talk to people or I did used to talk when people actually talk to people. When I was a bouncer and when I was in, you know, that the restaurant industry and all that, I got a lot of time to talk to a lot of people. A lot of people in a depressed world, right? What we commonly refer to as depression. I know I should stop using that because I fight against that connotative term. But a lot of people in a sad state or an unhappy state an uncomfortable state, going out drinking, smoking a cigarette on the porch, drowning their sorrows. And you find that these individuals, well, they have all the time, but they don't understand it. They don't understand the quality side of that. They don't understand that that drinking is the qualitative. So instead, they just think of it as the quantitative. And they think about time as this currency that must be spent. Well, it's not really true. Time is just a measurement. It's just a function. It's not linear. So when we think about that experience we have to think about wants and needs and if it's really like worth it or could we be doing something else? What are we trying to get out of this experience, right? Coming back to my questions here, I'm just trying to give a, a further example there. Coming back to like, what is quality time to you? What does it look like? What does it feel like? I would argue that that's not really what quality time was to those people. Where is the people? Like maybe it would have been better to stay at home and do feel good things, watch a feel good movie or, you know, like why are we spending the time that we do get for ourselves on things that aren't quality to us? This is where I think you should get out of social norms and 
that's real self-awareness is like really breaking it down to that idea. Going back to my tattoo artist, I think she has a very good understanding of what's quality to her by understanding. Yeah. I really like to do this type of work at my job. It makes me feel good. And I like that. She also expressed a bunch of other things, but I'm not going to share things about her because she's her own person. She can do that herself, but to use her as an example, a very good example, even though I have a feeling she might argue it a little bit, she understood what the quality looked like. And that's, that's not something a lot of people I've seen or experienced do. They just see the quantity side. They just see that I got to put in the time. I have to suffer through this. I have to keep suffering this. This fucking sucks. There's no change there. That's a choice. You're choosing to see it that way. You're choosing to continue that experiment because that's all it is, an experiment. If you keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, that's the definition of crazy, of insanity. That's, that's what insanity is. It's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. When you start making choices to get a different result though, and stop doing that experiment over and over again, then you can find different qualities, different quantities. You can find these balance structures. If the individual going to the bar and being miserable and being sorrowful and just trying to forget about it by using a substance, by a coping mechanism, maybe changes that to one of the drinking nights a month. I'm going to try to find something else to do that maybe gives me some enjoyment. Maybe it's going to the movies or maybe it's um, going to bed early or maybe it's getting a good meal somewhere or anything, anything other than that, doing that same thing over and over again, maybe they'll find, holy shit, quality actually matters. The quality of the experience and the time spent for myself, the things I do for myself, because that's what people drinking are doing. That's what people doing drugs are doing. That's what people, they're doing something for themselves, but it's a negative something because they give it that connotation. That's why I don't get high. That's why I don't get high. If I do get high, it's probably because I felt like that was a necessitive idea that I had to have the introspectiveness by getting high. It's a, it's a function. I, I, I don't think someone with addiction sees it that way. They see it as the quantity. I just got to do it again. Keep doing it. Quantity. Time and time again. Not the quality thereof. When addiction occurs, it's we lose the quality of it. It's no longer about the quality of the experience. It's about the quantity of the experience, hoping it will provide quality. If I just do it more, if I do more of it, eventually I'm going to get that, that better high, that better rush, that better, I'm going to have that better night of drinking. I'm going to have that. Yeah, that's a poor experiment. There's bad parameters there. The time spent is only quantitative. There's no quality to it anymore. That's why I ask you to wrap up here. 
What do you find to be quality time to you? Where do you need to put in more quantity of time? Where do you need to start adding the understanding of more quality? How can you get better quality time? Where do you feel like you need more time? Where do you feel like you would want more time? Remember, needs and wants. How does the quality of your time affect you? How do you cope with the necessity of putting in more quantity of time? Where can you put in one or the other? Where can you replace quality with quantity or quantity with quality? Does that make a difference somewhere? Can you be miserable six days a week if one day a week is awesome? Does that work for you? Does that not work for you? What's your balance there? What's your balance between qualitative and quantitative? Can you deal with a shitty job to have better experiences when you want to have them? Could you get another part-time job that's kind of fucking shitty and you don't want to do it, but like maybe it comes with a decent perk and it provides enough extra income that you can maybe get ahead or not have to worry about something? Does that give you, is that a good trade-off of the quantity time in for bad money function to get a better quality something else? Is that an option? What is the time, where are you spending your time? How are you spending it? Again, qualitative versus quantitative. Are you spending too much time on Instagram? Watching assholes stand in front of jets, taking pictures for no fucking reason, other than make you feel like a lesser individual than them and to somehow make themselves feel better about themselves? Is that a good amount of time to be spending for yourself? Should you be maybe spending more time on a positive social media. I'm not saying all social media is terrible. Pictures of kittens are fucking awesome. Pictures of puppies are awesome. Maybe you just need to go spend more time on the Instagram page with all the kittens and puppies and cute animals, fluffy beings, or any other animal you think is cute, like snakes and everybody's got their own thing. But, you know, I like... um, Red pandas. If you've never seen a red panda, go look at it. Go spend some time looking at red panda videos. Super cute and cuddly and funny to watch. Or uh, Highlanders. Um, cows. If you like cows, the Scottish Highland. The Scottish Highlander cow. The big red shaggy cows. Go check those out. Super cute. Watch them graze. I don't know. But where can you spend more time doing this. Those are the questions you need to ask yourself a fuck ton of questions about time. And stop listening to everybody else's advice on it. Because it's, it's not time is one of those things that you should covet for yourself. Just like everything else I've talked about part of self-awareness is being selfish. So maybe you need to be more selfish with your time. Do you need to be more selfish with your time? Ask yourself these questions. Not just because I'm telling you to. Remember, don't listen to me. Don't let someone else, you know. But think about, because really that's all I'm trying to get people to do is think. 
does this like does this make sense to you? If if what I'm saying makes sense, then yeah, you should try it. I don't go around just disarming other people and being like, oh, I'm not going to listen to them. I typically actually like to listen to viewpoints beyond mine because it makes me think. It makes me have a better understanding, challenges my viewpoints, or gives me a different thought avenue I, I wasn't going to go down. Even if I know what the person is going to say sometimes, because I'm just, people are my business, it's what I do. But even if I know the outcome or I know not just the outcome, but what they might say, or even if, what's a better way to put that? Even if I know I'm going to agree or I do agree with what the person is saying, it's often good just to hear it from them to think about their side of the equation. So more questions I can ask you to get you to think about time. What's quality of time look like to the people around you? What's the quantity of time of the people around you? What could you maybe emulate? Would you like to start emulating that? Because that's really the function of emulation. If you want to be like Gary Vaynerchuk, if you want to be a successful entrepreneur, you got to follow the successful entrepreneur guidelines and that's to put in quality and quantity of time to a level most humans aren't willing to do. That's how you get successful. So you become successful in that world of entrepreneurial. So this is probably the question I will wrap up with here. Where should you be spending your time? And how should you spend it there? Because time is a measurement and a function of currency in the world we know as materium, where we know the repulsive force is stronger than the attractive force and the magnetic. And that's what allows us to exist and to do things like the idea of chaos and order and creation and destruction. So do you need to destroy time spent somewhere in order to spend it where you should be or want to be or need to be? Or do you need to just spend more time doing what you're doing to get wherever you want to go or where you are going? Where should you be spending your time and how should you be spending it there? Remember, repetition is the mother of all skill. Failure is its father. Those who are most successful failed the most and learned the most from those failures. That's where they were supposed to spend their time. They were supposed to spend their time failing over and over again to become the best at what they do. And to learn from every one of those failures. The person that fails the most is typically the most experienced and the most successful. They didn't give up just kept spending more time at what they knew or where they knew they should be spending it. And even then they probably failed sometimes and spent it at the bar, spends it sleeping in. But I guarantee they understood the quality nature of those experiences, which all experiences are just a function of time 
measurement thereof. So again, where should you be spending your time? How should you be spending it there? What does quality time look like to you? What does the quantity of time look like for you? What does the balance of quality and quantity look like to you? Because those two options together will give you a definition of your time. And if you can define your time, as all good entrepreneurs know, you'll know what your time is worth. And if you know what your time is worth, you can measure a bunch of different things. You might even be able to measure some self-worth. And that self-worth is quality of time for yourself. It's to be selfish with your time. That is an understanding of self-worth. Everyone wants to tell you, eliminate the ego. Well, I'm here to tell you that's wrong. Alan Watts, eliminating the ego is the most egotistical thing you can do. Ego, ego is you, is self-consciousness, is self-idea is self-worth. It's okay to be selfish. That's an okay thing to do. You don't have to do it all the time. You shouldn't do it all the time. You shouldn't do it at the expense of others. Unless those others are shitty people, kind of like my family was, and I just was like, fuck this. I want nothing to do with these people. That was my selfish decision. But that selfish decision begot some of the most powerful change that existed in my life it was when I learned that I should be selfish with my time. It's not that I don't go spend my time at my job. I spend my time helping people when I can, helping someone move or, you know, going to a social occasion or, you know, going and getting a tattoo and, you know, paying that individual for their service and time and, you know, providing them another client to, perpetuate their income, you know, those types of things. It's not that I, you know, there can be selfish aspects to that, but I was selfish with my time. I chose that where I should be spending my time was not with my family because they were making me fucking miserable. I wanted nothing to do with that anymore. So I decided to go spend my time somewhere else. And then how I spent my time is still something I'm trying to figure out. Spend it going getting a tattoo because I like getting tattoos. It's my version of self-harm. It's my version. It's my time to, that's my vacation. It's my time to figure things out. It's my time to have conversations with my artists, even if they don't want to really listen to me, but I just, it's just a mental time. It's time to get things out, to feel things and to have time for myself. So it's okay to be selfish with your time. You should be selfish with your time. That's where the qualitative and quantitative idea comes from is that selfishness because if the selfish quality is correct and we can apply connotation, remember I don't like to apply connotation, but if we can apply it and it is correct, we're not harming anyone else. We're not, you know, there's nothing really bad going on, but it's for us. That's fine. It's okay to be selfish with your time. It's almost a necessity to be selfish with your time when it comes to self-awareness because self-awareness is about self. Your mental health 
is your mental health. So your time should be your time and you get to choose what you do with it. So to wrap up completely, once again, where should you be spending your time? How should you be spending it there? Where are you spending your time and should you continue to spend it there? How can you rearrange the balance of the quality and quantity of time you're spending throughout all the faculties and necessary things you need to do in your daily human life? And what do you want to get out of this time? Think about those things, if you will, or not, up to you. Do some thinking for me, though. That's all I ask. So go, think, figure out, spend some time, do some stuff with time. If you have listened to this, I appreciate your time. Thank you for listening to this. But do go be selfish. Turn me the fuck off and go do you. Go figure out your own time. But also come back next time. Also come check us out on uh, taminghindrances.com. We've been doing a lot with the website and getting, there's a whole archive on the website that maybe you want to go spend some time at to learn some things. Uh, the archive page is there to just a bunch of things that, you know, we think are interesting and you can check out. There's some affiliated product lists and we do product reviews. That's also on the website, a bunch of stuff like that. So come check us out there. Drop us, you know, a comment on the webpage or do us a review. There's reviews on the webpage, review us on whatever platform you might be, um, listening to us on. We appreciate that as well. Uh, or check us out on YouTube. We try to get to all our comments there as well. Thanks again for your time. And, uh, I'll see you on the next one. Thanks for listening. Come check us out at taminghindrances.com for show notes, links, resources, and more. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, RSS, or your preferred platform. If you leave us a spiffy review, we might just mention it on the show. But go be awesome. And just remember to breathe.